Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. In this episode, I want to look at what is called often the purity movement and really look at biblical ways to break through some of the modern day confusion surrounding the topic of purity in Christian relationships. Before we dive in, I wanted to remind you about a really amazing opportunity with our Ellerslie Discipleship Training Program for this summer of 2020. We are offering Ellerslie Online for a donation-only basis. So it's something you can participate in no matter what your financial situation is. It's five weeks of really poignant, powerful truth. It's professionally filmed. It's beautifully organized. It's something that you can walk through on your own with your family or with a group. And it's just an amazing way to become grounded in truth and fall in love with the Word of God and grow closer to Jesus Christ in such a time as this. So if you're interested in joining us, there's still some time to register. Even if you miss the start date, you can register all the way through the month of June, and you'll have access to the course for about six months. So if you go to ellerslie.com, you can learn how to join us for that. It's E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. And just click on the link that says Ellerslie Online, and you can learn how to dive into that amazing program. It's something we've never done before, but we're really excited about, and we'd love for you to join us. So let's dive into our topic of the purity movement. Now, this was basically inspired by an upcoming article in our August issue of the Set Apart Girl magazine, where I'm really just walking through my reflections on the purity movement and what God has done in the younger generation over the past 10, 15, or 20 years on the topic of purity and some of the ways that the enemy has come in to try to warp it. And I figured that in addition to the article, it'd be great for me to do a podcast about this as well, since not everyone reads the magazine, because this is a really important topic and one that I feel is really under attack in the church. You know, the word purity is such a simple word, but it so often triggers this intense emotion and controversy. And I really have noticed that in recent years, that one simple word has come under extreme attack, probably more than it ever has in history. Non-believers, of course, have always scoffed at the notion of purity. Ever since sin entered the world, non-believers or people who are wanting to distance themselves from God have gone out of their way to treat purity with disdain and contempt and mockery. And that's something to be expected because if sinners can discredit God's moral standard of purity, they can justify remaining comfortable in their sin. But one thing I've observed is that over the past decade or so, purity has taken a new and much more direct hit than those age-old criticisms that it's always had. And this direct hit has not come from atheists or mouthpieces of the sin-saturated culture that we live in. It has come from within the church. Now, maybe you've heard some of the rumblings of this. There's sort of this murmuring in the Christian community to make a case against purity and all teaching on purity. It seems to me that for the past several years, disillusioned Christians have been publicly throwing purity under the bus, and they often tell tear-jerking tales about how making a purity commitment ruined their lives and gave them nothing but heartache and shattered hopes and legalistic bondage and unnaturally extended singleness. Now, this was taking place long before the Christian author Joshua Harris kissed his purity, his marriage, and his faith goodbye, which was a very public thing that I think got the attention of a lot of Christians because he was always always known for standing for purity and teaching about purity, but then he became antagonistic publicly toward the ideals that he used to champion. 
the result of all of these things in the church over the past several years has been widespread confusion. A lot of young people whose parents and leaders taught them an incorrect view of purity have been very quick to jump on this anti-purity bandwagon. And so the reputation of the concept of purity seems to be hanging by a thread, not just in the world's eyes, but among Christians as well. Even believers who still agree with the moral idea of purity often feel the need to keep those views quiet because who wants to be associated with something that's led to such disaster and disappointment in so many people's lives? But in the midst of all of this noise and all of this controversy, it's really easy to forget this one important, indisputable truth. Purity was God's idea. And we can't get around that. We can't throw it out because it was God's idea. For the past maybe 25 years or so, my husband Eric and I have been really deeply connected with the purity movement, if you want to call it that. We've seen a lot of counterfeit versions of purity within the church and the damage that they can do. We've also seen the real thing and the beauty that it brings. So I want to take you in this episode on a brief walk down memory lane and share a little bit of my own journey in this area. And I hope in the process, some of that fog of confusion surrounding this issue will be cleared. And I'd love to impart to you a vision for purity that is beautiful and Christ-centered and refreshing. So Eric and I wrote our first book in the mid-90s. Now that does date me a bit and make me feel a little bit older than I want to feel, but that's really when it happened. And this was not because we desired back then to be known as Christian relationship experts or we had a passion to speak on the topic of purity. In fact, the opposite was true. We really didn't want to be known as Christian relationship experts. The reason that we got put into that position was because people were constantly wanting to know about our love story, and they knew we had made unusual decisions, they saw something different in our relationship, and they were asking us about it, or they were wanting us to share it at you know small groups or youth groups or whatever. And we were getting tired of sharing that same story over and over again, so we figured that a book would be the easiest solution. So then when people asked to hear the story, we could just hand them a book instead of having to always retell it. That is honestly how we came to write our first book. There was nothing overly amazing or spiritual about it. It was just a practical decision. But around that time, a a Christian publisher got a hold of a copy of that little self-published first book and asked if he could publish it. And he even went as far as to suggest that we could become full-time writers and speakers on the topic of Christian relationships and purity. We were actually very resistant to the idea. And I remember one day, Eric asked me if I would ever consider that, and my response was an emphatic no way. And actually, Eric agreed with me. Neither one of us wanted to be lumped in with what we perceived as those stiff, falsely pious Christian relationship speakers who seemed to be drenched in legalism and completely devoid of any romance. When I thought of people who would speak on purity or Christian relationships, I thought of words like stodgy and somber and rules-based, and I didn't want anything to do with it. When Eric and I reflected on the way that God had shaped our own pre-marriage relationship, there wasn't anything that was oppressive or legalistic about it. We had embraced certain standards and biblical principles like faithfulness to our future spouse, honoring our parents, and surrendering the control of our love life to God. But for us, those decisions did not come from some kind of man-made legalistic formula. They were just the outflow of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They were just the response to His loving guidance. 
Formula-based legalistic patterns for relationships were beginning to be touted among conservative Christian circles around that time, but we really didn't pay much attention because we were just enjoying the beautiful, life-giving, Christ-centered love story that God was writing for us as we surrendered our relationship to Him, and we discovered Him to be the author of romance, and that His ways are really perfect when we are willing to trust Him. Not long after Eric and I wrote our first book, we were invited to speak for the first time publicly on the topic of purity and relationships. And it was to a group of several hundred teens at a large church in Colorado. They wanted us to give what they called a purity message. We didn't want to do that. So we simply shared the life-giving story of God's faithfulness to us as we had surrendered our romantic life to Him. And we attempted to communicate the beauty and the hope and the fulfillment that comes from putting Him in first place and following His lead rather than just following the lead of the culture in this area. And that night, as we spoke to those teens, we knew we had stumbled upon a message that the younger generation was really hungry for because at the end of our message, young people were kneeling all around that church. They were on their faces. They were crying. They were willingly surrendering their lives to Christ and consecrating this area of their life to Him. God really began to do a work in our hearts after that first speaking event because we began to recognize that there were, and really still are, two different versions of Christian purity. One is a religious, man-centered, rules-based formula, a counterfeit. It's a humanly crafted version of purity. The other is a life-giving, Christ-centered, beautiful, romantic vision. It's true purity as God intended it to be. And that night when we spoke, we began to recognize that God was asking us to stand up and become a voice for true purity. And that's really how our journey into the purity movement began. Everywhere we shared that life-giving message of true purity, we experienced the same kind of response we'd seen at that first speaking event to those teens in Colorado. The younger generation was really hungry for this challenging but beautiful message of inviting Christ into the center of their love story and learning to faithfully love their future spouse, show honor, honor authority, honor parents, bring Christ into the center of their love life, etc. Now, as we began to write more books on this, publishers sometimes tried to get us to label our message with the popular conservative buzzwords that were floating around in Christian circles, but we really never did because we didn't want our message or our own story to be made into a formula. We wanted to inspire a generation with life-changing core principles from God's Word, like faithfulness and love and honor and surrender to Christ, principles that can be applied to anyone's life, whether you're homeschooled or public schooled, whether you're conservative or charismatic. And those principles don't require a label. They don't require a strict set of rules that have to be constantly enforced by parents and church authorities. They're simply the natural outflow of anyone who has surrendered his or her life completely to Jesus Christ. Now I want to look at what the core of true purity really is, because like I said, there are a lot of misconceptions out there of what purity really is. These days, a new language seems to be emerging that is attempting to vilify or demonize purity. So for instance, the term purity prosperity gospel has stepped onto the scene. And this is a derogatory phrase that has been used to argue the fact that purity commitments set you up for disillusionment because they promise something they can't deliver, which is happily ever after, sort of like, you know, people who talk about purity say you're going to end up with a fairy tale, but you never really do. So it just sets you up for heartache and disaster. 
But honestly, even when the purity movement was at its peak, when people were really beginning to think about a different way of approaching relationships, I don't remember ever hearing purity guarantees you a fairy tale. I don't remember it being taught or promoted by other authors and speakers who had a voice on this, and it was certainly something that Eric and I never promoted or taught. For our part, we have always proclaimed the unmatched beauty of God's ways, and we believe that God is the one who created romance and put the desire for love and companionship in our hearts, and we believe there is no better way to find the pattern for real and lasting love than to look to the one who came up with the idea in the first place, which is God. But our core message has always been one of surrender, being willing to lay all our dreams at Jesus' feet and declare, not my will, but yours be done. Any message on true purity has to begin with that principle of total surrender. When I was a teenager, I was challenged to surrender my love life to God with no qualifications. And it was really inspired by Elizabeth Elliot's book, Passion and Purity, because I learned that if surrender is absent, real purity cannot be present. True purity is not a bargain with God. Sort of like saying, God, I'll live this way as long as you give me the fairy tale I'm dreaming of. Rather, true purity is an act of love toward the one who gave everything to redeem us, a heart that longs to honor him and serve him even if we never receive any benefit from doing so. And one of the reasons that young people would often be on their faces or kneeling at the end of our relationship message is because they were being challenged to lay all of their dreams at the feet of Jesus to give up their own plans and expectations and follow him no matter the cost. It was not a message about getting everything you want. It was a message about giving up everything you are to the one who is worthy of all. And that is where fulfillment really comes from. Surrender is the only way to experience the beauty of true purity. So though it hasn't been an easy road, Eric and I don't regret our stand for Christ-centered, truth-based purity over the years. It has actually been one of the greatest joys and privileges we have ever known, both in our own relationship and in interacting with thousands of others who have made similar decisions. Those who have chosen the path of true purity, it's not that they have no struggles, no heartache, no disappointments, but they have a heart that is right with God and a heart that desires to honor Him no matter the cost, and they have discovered the the beauty of saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And that's what sets the stage for God to do beautiful things in our lives. Even if he also takes us through really hard things, he is a God of redemption. He is a God of beauty. So if you have experienced heartache or disappointment in this area, I would encourage you not to jump on that bandwagon of bitterness against purity or teaching on purity, but to say, Lord, I lay these ashes of disappointment and hurt at your feet. And I know that you can make beauty out of ashes. That's what you promised to do in your word. You are a God of redemption and your ways are perfect. No matter what my personal experience has been, I trust that your ways are perfect and that you are perfectly faithful. When you take up that heart attitude, that's when you will begin to see God work tremendously in your life. And I'll say for the record that after 25 years of marriage, though Eric and I have gone through tremendous challenge and tremendous difficulty and had a lot of disappointed hopes, not in our own relationship with each other, but in a lot of other areas of our lives. And yet through the disappointments, through the pain, through the trials, God has drawn us closer to each other and closer to him simply because we've maintained that attitude of surrender and trust in him. 
when it comes to the purity movement, God has done something really extraordinary over these past 25 years, not through the stiff and stodgy counterfeit camp or the legalistic versions of so-called purity, but through the many countless of Christians who have embraced God's vision of set-apartness, of purity, of selfless love, and lifelong faithfulness. He has reawakened a vision for honorable masculinity and gracious femininity in the hearts and minds of countless Christians. So my challenge to you is to not let the enemy come along and just take it all away and warp what God has done because God's ways are perfect and he is perfectly faithful. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into this topic of true purity, please visit setapartgirl.com. We have an online mentoring program. We have loads of online articles you can read and tons of resources on how you can pursue a truly Christ-centered life. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.